following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. So we said this, who is cherished? Is that a question or a statement? And I love to answer yes, right? It is. It is both a question and we will see that it is a statement. This topic that we're studying today, Jesus brings up the idea of, well, you've heard it said, but I say to you. This has kind of been his rhythm through this sermon that he's been preaching called the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon actually goes Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And when he's preaching this sermon, he, what he is doing is he is undoing, he's taking away the people's assumptions that they've all been raised with. And may I just say, you and I have some similar assumptions that we have been raised with. And he is confronting those in us as well. See, here's how it works. Most people, even, even if you've just been absolutely, you know, your Bible, you go to every Bible study and you go to every confirmation class and you go to every worship service and you go to all the, you even go to the ministry conferences and everything, we all struggle with this idea that if I'm not a good person, God's not going to like me. So therefore, I need to be a good person so that God will like me. And Jesus is just destroying that whole mentality in his sermon. He is taking all the things away that we think are true, and he is confronting us with the truth. And here's, here, when, when you start bringing up things like marriage, divorce, and adultery, let's just throw that, you know, it's like, Nothing like a good hand grenade to toss in the room this morning, right? That's, I mean, that's what he's doing. And, you know, all of us in our lives, it doesn't matter who we are, or, our, or all, of our, all of our families have been touched by all three of those words. Marriage, divorce, and adultery. All, all of our families have been, okay? And it's so important. That, and see, you might be sitting there and say, well, you know, I'm happily married, and I've been married for 50,000 years, or at least it feels like 50,000, and, and it's been going pretty good. You know, or you might be that person, I've had more than one divorce even. Or you might be that person, hey, I'm single, and you know, I don't even, this doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes, it does, right? And so you know, wherever we are at in our own personal journeys, God's word is coming to bear on us. And, and, I, and, and we have to look this square in the eye, if you'll allow that language. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 28. And what we're going to do with this, we're going to put these on the screen, we're going to zoom in, and we're going to study this. Because what we've been seeing through this whole study of Matthew chapter 5 is it's not about behavior, it's about the heart. Over and over again, Jesus, he, he picks a topic, and he goes, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And look at what he says. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. He's quoting one of the Ten Commandments. Good job, Jesus. High fives, right? You know, let's, we appreciate that. But then look what he says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See how he brings the heart right to bear? Because the heart is not just an issue with faith, it's also an issue with sin. It's the brokenness. It's back. It's always there. It's like this thing we can't get rid of. And what he brings out to us is he's saying, look, and this is always the way it works. If you think that you need to be a good person for God to love you, then what we have to do is we have to lower the standard by which we define what is good, right? Because, you know, this is what, you know, if you, if you go to 1950 and you say, what is good, you're going to get a different answer than you get in the year 2019. I bet most of you would agree with that statement. And so, and so you know, 
Nowadays, you know, you might say, well, you know, as long as you don't kill anybody, you're good. But we found out last week that if you get angry, that's also murder. So what are we going to do now, right? And so now, you know, you're like, what is good? And Jesus is saying, you know, you've heard it said, and he's referring to this commandment, but I tell you that if you even, you know, you know, for, you know, for us, for the men in the room, let's, we're being honest, that's what we're doing, you know, the eyes tend to wander. I don't know if any other guys handle, handle have that problem, right? And I don't think it's just men, but I'm only a man, so that's all I can speak for. The women can pipe up later and let us know if they have the problem too. But I kind of think, from what I've heard from the women I've spoken to, that it does tend to happen with, but men it's maybe a little more often, right? And I think that's why Jesus is highlighting this. But he's specifically highlighting this for another reason, because in their culture, they wanted a way, they wanted a way to get out. They wanted a loophole, get out of this problem. And so they had created a system by which they could keep the law. And the only way a human can keep the law is to lower the law, make it keepable, right? So, for example, if everyone on the highway drives 70, it would make it much easier to keep it if you raise the speed limit to 70. You see what I'm saying? But if, I, if you're like, but, but people are getting killed here. We need to lower it down to like 35 or whatever. Eh, you know, that's their problem. No, see, that's not... This is what we're talking about. It's what's going on in the heart. And so what this forces everyone to do is to look at this and say, well, everyone does that. Uh Uh-huh. Everyone does this. Everyone commits adultery in their heart. Now, you might be able to say like a four-year-old kid doesn't, but what do they always want? They always say, mine, 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 right? I mean, it's not sexual adultery, but, you know, it's the same root cause of covetousness. Take a look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 to 6, because this is another passage where, where a lot of people will be like, well, does, what does Jesus really mean about this whole divorce thing? Because there's, you know, there's scenarios where divorce is a good thing, isn't there? Haven't you read, Jesus says, the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, hear me very clearly. We're going to talk about situations where divorce is not only possibly a good thing, and we'll define that, but necessary, right? We can give examples of that. But here's what I want you guys to see. There are no loopholes in the law. There's no scenario where the law doesn't apply to us. There's no situation where divorce is truly a good thing because good is what the law, the law is what defines what is good. It's God's will. His will from the beginning, and it's very interesting that when does marriage come on the scene? Before the fall into sin. It comes on the scene on page one of the Bible. And then it gets emphasized on page two. And then even on page three, when everything falls apart, there's this promise that there would be a baby born that would bring us all home, even on page three. So what's going on here is he's, he's quoting page two, page one and two technically, and, and, and so he's highlighting the fact that, haven't you read? This is from the beginning. This is how it's always supposed to have been. You know, in Malachi, God even goes so far as to say, I, I hate divorce, that's not my plan, right? And so for all of our families, because we mentioned all of our families one way or another have been touched by this reality, okay? And so we have to see it from God's point of view. We have to understand, but don't think. Like, for example, the question is, is when, when are we in trouble? It's when you think you can find a good reason for this. We can try to find a loophole. No, 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 no. Let's just admit that it's broken. 
because that's what Jesus is forcing us to do. It's broken. Okay, so now what? I want to put a little passage up here, a little chart, for lack of a better word, called Truth and Grace. And I want to highlight how this works in all the different scenarios because it's important for us to see it. So it has God's design in a broken world, and God's design in a broken world is the reality of the thing. He says the two shall, well, the, father, you know, the son will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. That's the design. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're called to singleness, because guess what? We also have 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul says some people are called to be single, and that's okay, and that can even be a beautiful thing. And Jesus is even going to talk about this in Matthew as well. He says, hey, that's, some of the people are called to that. And some of us don't, you know, some of us who are called to be single don't want to be, but that's one possibility. Another possibility is marriage. And some of us might be sitting here, because Debbie and I are going to be celebrating next April. We're celebrating this April, our 24th anniversary. Next April will be our 25th anniversary. And you're like, hey, our marriage is good. You know, she can tell you. We're not going to let her, but she could. And so every marriage, there's no marriage that's exempt from the brokenness, even if you somehow manage to not have a divorce. It's like some people will say, What's, what does it matter that you get married? It's just a piece of paper. Well, what does it matter when you tear the paper up? Well, yeah. What happens when you destroy someone's heart in a relationship? Uh, that's an even bigger question. So we've got we to gotta look at all these. And then the third category is divorced. And did you know, some of you might know this very well, that there are some churches that will not even allow people to join the church if they've been divorced. And I'm like, so what about the people that looked at a woman lustfully? Can they join the church? You see how this works? You see what Jesus is trying to do? Don't, don't build systems of if you're a good person, then you can come hang out with us. That's the, whole, that's the opposite of what he's saying. He's saying we need him. Do you guys remember, some of you who weren't here, we've got to bring it back up to remind ourselves, what was the first thing that Jesus said when he began his sermon? The poor in spirit are blessed. Poor in spirit means you have nothing to offer. You are coming with nothing of any value to the relationship. And he says, that's actually who I want to work with. If you come to the relationship with, oh, I've got this on my resume, and i got that. Me and my wife have been married 24 years, happily married most of the time on Tuesdays. <coughs> we don't see as, each other as much on Tuesdays. Um, <clears throat> no, that is not it. The poor in spirit are blessed. A translation for that that would make a lot of sense to us, if you're broken and you're messed up, then that's who we want here. Because all of the rest of it is a pretend game. It's a game. It's called churchianity. It's where you come and you pretend you're all goody-goody, and then the actual reality is that it's hypocrisy. No, no, no. Hypocrisy is when you pretend there's not a problem. We need to recognize there's a problem no matter our relationship. So if we're single and we're in that situation. Maybe we're called to that for a season. Maybe we're called to that for a long time. If we're married, there's good, there's bad, there's ugly. If we're divorced, that wasn't God's design, but it happened. Now what? What do we do, right? And so how, what do we go? And then Jesus' message to us is going to be throughout the scriptures, the good news, the gospel, to participate in the restoration. I got to tell you a story. So, um, so one, of the, one of my dear friends, came to me one Sunday, this has been a few years back, and we were outside and we were always greeting, and it was one of those days where the weather was perfect, so everybody just kind of lingering out by the picnic tables, and, and we're all 
you know, high-fiving and handshaking and hugging. And she comes up to me and she goes, you need to know something. And I said, what's that? And we kind of tended to kind of separate from the crowd. And she said, you need to know God did something to me today. I said, what? What did he do? He helped me see that my divorce, though it wasn't his plan, was not the end of my like relationship with him. She had actually been carrying this burden her life that basically when she got divorced, that God just kind of like, oh, well, you're one of those. And he was willing to give her maybe this like back seat in heaven or some variation of that, but she wasn't really going to ever live a blessed life now because that had happened in her life. And she says, you, the, you showed us the scripture that God will restore anything, that he'll, he'll bring it back life to the full. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He'll take whatever is completely broken and he'll make it whole again. Like, yeah, that's what the Hebrew word shalom means in the Bible. And, she, and tears were running down her eyes. And she's, so actually, even though I might have messed that up or he might have messed that up, now, regardless of what all that was, something new can be made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Because of God's grace. You see, God's grace, you know, they always say grace covers a multitude of sins or whatever. Oh my goodness, no, it doesn't just cover them. It washes them as white as snow, as far as the east is from the west. It makes you alive. He makes you alive. And so what we do is we take the brokenness and we give it to him, just like we did this morning, and then he comes into our lives and he goes, now, come with me and let's together, let's koinonia, let's participate, let's commune in the restoration of all things. And let's start with your very home that you live in, the very family that you dwell in, the very people that you spend all of your time with. Let's start there. Take a look at Colossians 2, verse 8. I want you guys to hear this very clearly. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. This scripture is saying that if you are part of an organization or a group or a family or a community or anything else that says, well, if you did this, then you're damaged goods. If you did that, then there's sorry, there's nothing we have for you. If you don't follow all these rules, then say what now? Now, some of you might be sitting there going, yeah, but Mark, Mark, there's some some rules. There's some. I mean, you can't just go out and be an axe murderer. See, do you see what we're doing? We're playing games when we say that. The minute you say there have to be some rules, you have missed what this is saying to you and to me. It depends on Christ. Not rules, not regulations, not laws. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says, The law was powerless to do what God did. The law which says, do this, and it's never done. Christ says, it is, what's that last word? Finished. We were talking amongst ourselves, I was talking with some friends this week, and they said, well, if you don't, if you don't try to be a good person or do, you know, try to, and he didn't use that language, but he's basically saying that, well then, what's, I mean, what does God want you to do? And I'm like, so do you mean that when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it's almost finished? You guys just need to take it the rest of the way? No, he said, it's finished. And then he says, come with me. It's family. It's, see, that's why it doesn't matter if you're single, you're married, or you're divorced. It's family. 
you know, nobody, nobody says that, like, do you, do, you, do you say this in your family? I need to do good works or I'm not going to be part of the family. And, of course, then I'm remembered that Mama said if you don't take out the trash, maybe that is true. But that's just hyperbole. You, I hope you understand. If you forget to take out the trash, you might get your, your rear end whooped a little bit, but you're, gonna, you're still part of the family. With God, there, there's no rear end whipping because Jesus took the whipping and the nails and the crown of thorns and the ridicule and all of the things that were meant for you and for me went to him. And you and I are set free. Focus on Christ. Not on the basic principles or the human traditions or the... I mean, all of these things, these systems that we build. You, if this, then this, maybe that, else that. No. Take a look at Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision, and if you've ever read the Old Testament, that's fighting words, the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive. Who did that? Did you do that? Mm-mm. God did that. And so what happens is you and I, we look at our, our real life and we look at all of the brokenness, all the mistakes. Just like my friend was telling me out here in the, in, the, in the front last year or whenever it was. And said, you know, God showed me that, yeah, there might have been all kinds of mistakes. And she said, and trust me, there were. But out of that, he created something new. This is what we're talking about. When you have something that's dead, bring it to God. He will resurrect it. And I hope you don't make that some sort of symbolic thing. It's a real thing. Just as the day will come that we will put your body and they will put my body in the ground, there will be a day when it comes back out. Resurrection of the body. Just like that. That's what he does to situations and circumstances in a real way. Not a symbolic, but a real way. Take a look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. If you came here today with burdens, and, I, 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 and if you say you didn't, then let's talk about that because you did. If you came here today with burdens, I want you to give them to Jesus. Not because I said so, but because he said so for Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you more burdens. Oh, wait, he didn't say that. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and just do these three or six or seven steps and everything will be great. No. Mark, are you saying that I can bring anything I want to Jesus and he'll take it from me? No, he is saying that. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus saves us without any, anything we do and he sets us free and he says, come with me. Let's go and let's bring and let's take what you've been given and share it. Who is cherished? I hope you understand that the question is answered by a statement. Who is cherished? You are cherished. Jesus gave his whole life for you and for me so that we could participate in things like a single person's life, a married person's life, a divorced person's life, and bring about light in the darkness in all of those situations and scenarios. Join me as we put our trust in him and pray to him right now to help us do just that. Please pray. Father, we ask you to help us be honest about our weariness and our burdens and to give them to you. 
and to trust in Jesus who has promised to take them and to give us rest. Help us see that his yoke is not a yoke at all, but it is freedom. Freedom from rules and regulations and systems and all those made-up human traditions and a calling back to the light. Remind us when he said, it is finished. Remind us of the day that he rose from the grave and promised us that we too shall have newness of life. Be with every heart and mind in this room and root this truth in our hearts that we are cherished by him. No matter our circumstances, no matter our situation, no matter whether we're single or whether we're married or whether we're divorced, we are cherished. And no matter what our situations are or our baggage is, that you will bless us. Not because we have anything to offer, but because we precisely are poor in spirit. And I pray that we would grow in this truth as we trust in Jesus all the more who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.